Well, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever time it is, wherever you are tuning in. Thank you so much for joining me today on this uh, Dharma talk slash meditation offering. Uh, this is a continuation of my series on compassion. However, today we'll, we will be doing a detour into forgiveness. And I think, as, uh, I think you'll see as the presentation unfolds today, that these two uh, practices or concepts are intimately intertwined. Uh, compassion and forgiveness, they, they, are, they really do go hand in hand. Now before we get started, I'd like to jump into a few announcements, um, if that's okay, please indulge me in that. As I turn that off. So, first announcement, and if you've been with me before, you've heard these already, so sorry. Uh, forgive, huh? Forgive the uh, repetition. Uh, the first announcement is that I am happy to say that I am uh, hosting and facilitating an online uh, meditation retreat. This is a retreat into compassion. Uh, this is the spring retreat offering. And in many uh, meditative traditions, uh, it is uh, traditional or customary to offer a spring retreat, a summer retreat, an autumn retreat, and a winter retreat. Uh, the winter retreat I did, I just finished, was loving kindness, and now we're moving into compassion. That was really kind of the inspiration for these uh, Facebook and Instagram live offerings uh, as a way of setting up uh, the stage, so to speak, uh, for the offering for the eight-week uh, retreat into compassion. Now that retreat runs from March 22nd to May 13th uh, and we'll be meeting uh, Sunday and Thursday evenings at 9 p.m. Now that's East Coast of America time and I have factored in uh, the daylight savings uh, time will kick in uh, the week before that so that's all been factored in already for you. So Sunday and Thursday evenings 9 p.m. and the sessions are roughly 90 minutes to two hours long. Now, there's always a break in there as well. Now, if you're concerned that you may not be able to make one or even several of the sessions, or I've had people sign up who couldn't make any of the live sessions, that's totally fine. All of the sessions will be recorded via Zoom and made available to the retreat participants only. Uh, the, probably the following day, really just a few hours after the session, those will be up and available uh, for people who want to follow along in their own pace, at their own timing. Uh, now, it's fine to do that. I welcome that. Uh, and just so you know, if you do decide to do that, uh, you will also, as a result of signing up for the retreat, you get two one-on-one uh, -on -one sessions with me where we uh, take a deeper dive into what's unfolding for you as a result of the practices that we do on the retreat. And so then I can kind of uh, really uh, set into balance any imbalances that might be arising as a result of the practices that can sometimes happen. Really just answer any questions or concerns you might have. Uh, so never fear if you can't make some or all of the sessions, don't let that stop you from signing up if you really want to take a deep dive into the practices of compassion. Uh, we'll spend four weeks on self-compassion, 
uh, and forgiveness, and then we spend four weeks on compassion for others. So that's how it's divided up. Again, that's March 22nd to May 13th. Uh, for more information and for registration, please do go visit my website, www.suchsweetthunder.org, uh, and click on the Retreats and Programs page. That will give you all of the information you need. The second announcement that I would like to put forth here is that I am currently accepting applications for one-on-one -on -one studies. So if you currently have a meditation practice and you'd like to go deeper into your practice with a teacher, or if you're new to meditation and you'd like to really get started in a, in a traditional way, uh, the one-on-one -on -one teacher-student relationship can be so beneficial. It's really hard to uh, overemphasize how much benefit that can really be. Uh, a teacher, a live teacher who can answer your questions, who can tailor make a practice for your own uh, concerns. Uh, that is something that can't be found through uh, an app or a video or a recording. Uh, so that is a, a really, um, can be a really profound relationship. I can't imagine my life without my teacher. Uh, so I welcome you to uh, go again to the website suchsweetthunder.org and visit the online studies page. And that will give you all of the information you'll need to get started with a one-on-one -on -one practice. And so that's all of the announcements I would like to make today. So before we get into the offering on forgiveness, I'd like to just do a brief meditation practice as a way of kind of settling into the present moment. This will be a meditation on gratitude. And so I'll ring the meditation bell here and I'll guide us into the present moment using uh, sensations of the body, the breath, sounds, if that's accessible. And then we'll bring up into our awareness something that we might feel grateful for. And we'll just really feel into the experience of gratitude. And then we'll be done. So this practice will take about five to seven minutes. Again, it's optional. Uh, if you feel like you don't want to meditate or if it would just uh, support you better at this moment to just sit and listen or follow your breath, absolutely fine. Okay, here we go. And so the invitation is now to just come into this present moment experience. Allowing the body to settle, letting any obvious tension or stress that might be held in the body to go. Just allowing the body to rest. Allowing the mind to rest letting any concerns or thoughts of the upcoming days go. Concerns or thoughts of the days past, you can let all of that go as well. And simply rest right here and right now in this present moment experience. And allowing your heart to rest 
vast and open like the blue sky. And so while breathing in and breathing out, the invitation is now to bring awareness to the body itself, the physical sensations of the body. just really knowing and feeling your body in a seated position, perhaps the gravity pulling against the chair or floor. Inviting the muscles in the feet and legs to relax, rest and grow soft. Inviting the hands and arms to unwind and rest. And if you notice sensations of clothing against the back and shoulders, inviting the muscles underneath those sensations to grow soft, relax and unwind. And if you notice sensations arising throughout the back of the neck, inviting those muscles at the back of the neck to grow soft and relax. Letting any tension or stress that's held in the face muscles go. And noticing any sensations which might be arising from the top of the head. And if at any time during this meditation you become distracted by thoughts, that's quite normal. Simply allowing the thoughts to pass and gently returning back to the experience of the body. The body sensations are always present moment experience. If you wish, if it feels accessible, you might also notice the sounds of the present moment. And as you rest, noticing the canopy of sound and silence, listening to the universe orchestrate the soundtrack of the present moment. Each sound finds its perfect place in the rhythm of right now. You might also notice how the breath moves through the body, the rising and falling of the abdomen, chest and shoulders. You might notice how the back moves out as you breathe in and in as you breathe out. 
or perhaps simply noticing the temperature changing from cooler to warmer at the nose and the back of the throat as you inhale and exhale. And so we'll rest right here in this present moment experience for just a few breaths. Breathing in and breathing out. while resting here in this present moment experience of breath and body, sound and silence, the invitation is now to bring into your mind's eye, into your awareness, some experience that you feel gratitude towards. This could be something very simple like a morning cup of coffee or tea or hot chocolate. The beauty of a sunrise or sunset. The purring of a kitten. The sound of your favorite song on the radio. Just recall this experience and allow this gratitude to arise with the experience in your memory. As we hold this experience of gratitude in the mind's eye, allow yourself to really feel the experience of gratitude in the body. Where does this gratitude arise? In the abdomen, chest, in the jaw, the arms? Is there a warmth or a particular color which might arise? And if it feels accessible, allow your awareness to fall into the experience of gratitude. Or looked at another way, allowing the gratitude to reign through your being. Or turning up the volume on the gratitude as if turning up the volume on your favorite song on the radio. Allow this gratitude to wash through your body, from the marrow of your bones, throughout the muscles, the veins, the arteries, and tendons. Shimmering out through the surface of your skin in all directions.
And in a few breaths, we'll pivot away from this opening meditation and shift back into a conversational space. And I'll cue that by ringing the bell three times. So I'd like to thank you all for joining me in that brief guided meditation into gratitude. Uh, if you are watching this back on recording and you'd like to sit in that gratitude experience for a little while longer, uh, now would be a good time to press pause. And you can explore that as long as you wish. But if you're watching this live here with me right now, thank you for being here. And now we're going to launch into some talking about forgiveness. And I might be able to get in a, a forgiveness meditation towards the end as well. We'll see. This is a big topic and I'll probably stretch it out over two sessions. Uh, and the way I would like to approach it is to start with forgiveness for the self, for ourselves. And then we can move into working with forgiveness for others um, because it is such a large topic it's it's so there's so much there and it is so delicate and and really so beautiful so rewarding uh, it deserves uh, a good close examination so i just want to tell a few stories and really these stories will be quite abbreviated uh, in the interest of time uh, and these stories will come from uh, several different traditions, East and West. And so the first story I, I want to refer to is a very, very famous story in the Buddhist tradition uh, called the story of Angulimala. I love that name. And sometimes I just want to tell the story because I want to say the name, Angulimala. <laughs> Angulimala. It means, his name means... Uh, the necklace of thousands of fingers. And so uh, Angulimala was a man who lived in the time of the Buddha. They were uh, alive at the same time. And he was a, a brutal murderer. And as a result of his upbringing, actually, as his childhood, uh, his, his father gave him some really distorted mes messages about what it means to be a good person. And so he thought somehow it, it got taught into his mind that he thought if he killed thousands of people and made their fingers into a necklace, I forgot the number, I think it's a thousand fingers or five thousand fingers. But anyway, when he, when he got a certain amount of fingers on that necklace, he would reach some sort of enlightenment. And that's you know part of the story it's it's a, it's just a small part and i just want to touch on it briefly because it really shows how uh our upbringing or the circumstances of our lives can really uh influence our distorted way of thinking it can really uh we fall susceptible to the messages of our society of our culture of our upbringing 
and we uh, sometimes act in very unconscious ways through uh, those misguided messages. And Angulimala was very, very entrenched in that. His behavior was uh, entrenched in this, these uh, poor teachings, if you will. Now the story unfolds so that uh, the Buddha hears about this murderer, Angulimala, and uh, he's, you know, he wants to change his mind, or at least see what he can do to alleviate the suffering that Angulimala must be entrenched in. He knew Angulimala must be suffering very deeply to commit these heinous acts. So he walks through Angulimala's village, uh, and Angulimala happened to look out his window as the Buddha's walking by, and he says, ha, this silly man, he walks alone in my neighborhood. I'm easily going to, to kill him and take his finger. And in fact, that finger would have been the finger that completed his necklace so that he would attain enlightenment. And so this whole uh, story unfolds where Angulimala uh, pursues the Buddha and he can't catch him, even though the Buddha is walking at a normal pace and Angulimala is running as fast as he can after the Buddha. Uh, he couldn't catch up to him somehow. The Buddha was using this kind of psychic power as the legend has, that's so Angulimala couldn't catch him. So Angulimala says, stop, hey, stop. I'm chasing you, stop, why, why won't you stop? And the Buddha, in the most kindest, gentlest words, it said, with the kindness of a grandmother, the Buddha says to Angulimala, I have stopped. Why don't you stop? And so what those words meant was that the Buddha has stopped falling into his reactive patterns. He's ceased his reactivity. He's no longer causing suffering for himself and others. He said, Angulimala, you haven't stopped. You're still susceptible to your reactive patterns. You're still causing suffering for many, 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 many people, including yourself. Why don't you stop? And Angulimala was so taken by these words thought to himself, well, nobody's ever spoken to me with compassion before. Nobody's ever spoken to me through the words of forgiveness. He was so struck by that, that he immediately took his sword and threw it off a cliff. Went back to the Buddha and said, please take me as your student. So the Buddha, of course, takes him as a student and Angulimala studies very, very passionately what the Buddha has to offer, and quickly becomes one of the more advanced monks in the Buddhist community there. It's called an arhant, uh, where he has let all of his reactivity go. He's no longer causing suffering for himself and others. He's purified his mind and heart, it says. And he becomes very well esteemed amongst uh, the monks and nuns of the Buddhist community at that time. And as a part of, I, I need to mention here, as a part of him becoming this advanced monk, he had to go around and make amends to all of the families that he'd hurt, uh, to all of the, the families of, the, of his victims. He had to go to each one of them and make amends to them and, and uh, go through a, a, a rite of forgiveness. So coming to the end of the story here, <laughs> 
Uh, Angulimala wakes up one morning, very early, and he goes around on his alms rounds. Now, alms in Southeast Asia is a tradition where monks and nuns will go out begging for their daily food. They're only allowed to eat and drink what they receive on their alms rounds. And so Angulimala went around that morning begging for his food and during his alms round, he passed a house where there was a pregnant woman uh, suffering greatly, uh, giving birth. The, it was a breech birth. And he thinks to himself, oh, why do humans have to suffer so much? There's so much suffering in the world. And he goes to the Buddha and he says, Buddha, why is there so much suffering in the world? It's, I can't believe the, the suffering that I had to, that I heard this morning from this woman giving breech birth. The Buddha says, Angulimala, go back to that woman and tell her that you haven't killed or harmed anyone in your life. And through the truth of those words, her birth will be eased and she will give a natural birth to her baby. And Angulimala says, well, Buddha, I can't possibly say that because that wouldn't be true. I've, I've killed and harmed many, many people in my life. And the Buddha says, yeah, uh, okay. Go back to her and, and say to her, I haven't killed or harmed any living beings since I became a renunciant monk. And through the truth of those words, uh, she will give a normal, healthy childbirth. Zwanglimala returns back to the home of the woman who is giving the breech birth and says to her, Sister, I have not harmed or killed anyone since I became a renunciant monk. And through the truth of those words, her birth was effortless. She managed to give birth to a healthy baby. And as Angulimala leaves the home of the woman, he falls victim to people throwing stones at him. A huge mass uh, a gathering of, of young people throwing rocks and hurtling stones. And he says, stop, stop, what are you doing? And, and he's, you know, getting bruised and cut and beaten and, and bleeding to death on the ground. And the story is that the stoning was his own karma. Now, karma is a, is a big topic, and I'm not going to dive into the whole topic of karma here today. That requires a whole other two or three presentations in itself. But the idea is that because he couldn't let go, completely let go of the harm and hurt and pain and suffering that he had caused earlier in his life, that that harm and pain and suffering came back and stoned him to death just after he helped that woman with her birth. And I really find this so, such a profound story of self-forgiveness, right? He couldn't let go, even though he'd asked forgiveness from all of those families, even though he became a renunciant, advanced arhant, the most advanced monastic one could possibly get, living a purified life of body, mind, and soul. He couldn't let go. He couldn't forgive himself. He couldn't start anew.
And so here is where the practice of self-forgiveness is so profound, because it really, if we can really allow that, But so often what happens is we have these experiences in our past and we freeze them in our past. They become frozen as things we did and we, we kind of identify ourselves as an ex, whatever it is, as something that we did. And in a way we kind of hold on to those experiences and beat ourselves up with them so that we make sure we never do them again. <laughs> and so they become lodged in our psyche and we can never rest. We can never completely arrive. Again, pointing into the Buddhist tradition, the Buddha says in the very famous text, the Dhammapada, which is writings of his earliest teachings, he says, just as irrigators guide a water to the field, or just as fletchers shape an arrow shaft, just as carpenters shape a piece of wood, so the wise shape themselves. And here, this phrase, I love that, so the wise shape themselves. And through the tool of self-forgiveness, we allow ourselves to become that piece of wood that we can continue to shape and grow and evolve throughout our life. The teachings of impermanence, that we are not anything fixed. Again, I'm going to take a little bit of a dive into the Buddhist tradition here, so... I just want to mention that I'm not a Buddhist teacher and I'm trying to give these teachings in a secular voice and I will uh, shift out of Buddhism in a few minutes and talk a little bit about Christianity because Christianity has such an emphasis on forgiveness as well. But the Buddha, there's also a famous story in the Buddhist tradition where uh, a, young monk, a young Brahmin sorry, goes to talk to the Buddha and insults him just throws a string of insults in the Buddha's face and eventually spits at the Buddha in his face. And the Buddha simply smiles. And the Brahmin goes back to his home and he can't sleep because all he can see is the Buddha smiling at him when he closes his eyes as he's hurling these curse words and spitting on him. And it's, it's so disturbing to him that he can't sleep for days and days and days. And so the Brahmin finally returns to the Buddha and he bows in front of him and says, please forgive me. The Buddha looks at him and says, do I know you? I, I, I don't know who you are. And the Brahmin says, oh, you must recognize me. I came in here about a week ago and, and you know, cursed at you for several minutes and then spit on your face. The Buddha says, was that you? I don't, I'm not sure that was you. You seem like a very different person now than you were a week ago. And 
we can now point at quantum physics and say, we know this is true. Our whole body changes minute to minute, second by second. The Buddha would have known none of that, but he's so sensitive about impermanence. He knew this man had completely changed through the open-hearted forgiveness and compassion of the Buddha. He says, that wasn't you. You're a different person now. I can clearly see by your speech, by your actions, by your presence here today, that you're a different person than you were a week ago. And in fact, I too am a much different person than I was a week ago. Again, pointing at that being a, a, a piece of wood that can be shaped or an irrigation river that can be crafted and directed. The Buddha too was wise and he knew that he could shape himself moment to moment. He too was not the same person he was a week ago. And this Brahmin becomes a student of the Buddha as well. So this forgiveness and compassion has this kind of transformative quality to it. It transforms the person we forgive and it transforms ourself as we forgive ourself and as we forgive others who transgress against us. And that comes right from the Lord's Prayer, right? In Christianity, you have the idea of the Lord's Prayer. Forgive our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Right? So in a way, that phrase, forgive our trespasses as we forgive those whom trespass against us. So the more we forgive others, the more we are forgiven, right? That transformative quality. And again, from the Christian tradition, the story of the crucifixion when Jesus was being nailed up on the cross. Forgive them, Lord, for they know not what they do. They know not what they do. And here, Jesus is pointing directly at that unconscious reactive pattern behavior, which Angulimala was so entrenched in. In fact, I think, at least in my own case, when I look back at my own life and how I've transgressed against others, in those moments, I knew not what I was doing. I was acting out of unconscious reactive behavior. Now, I want to say here that forgiveness doesn't mean condoning bad behavior. We're not using these practices of forgiveness or compassion or loving kindness or equanimity or joy or any other meditative practice as a way of condoning bad behavior. It's not about that. Forgiveness is about releasing the stone in our heart. You think about it. Think about right now, if you can, think about if you're carrying or harboring some anger or resentment towards somebody. Think about what that feels like in your heart. For me, 
it feels like a splinter, like a splinter in my thumb. It feels like there's a splinter in my heart. Now, it's not the splinter that's really the problem. <laughs> it's the desire to be free from that splinter. Right? And we so want to be free from that. And forgiveness is one of the tools, compassion as well, the tools that allow us to remove the splinter from the heart. We're not saying what that person did is okay, but what we're saying is we're ready to move into the next present moment free from that resentment, free from that stone of anger. So, even when we're working with forgiveness for others, it's not really about others. It's about ourself. It's about our relationship to life. Generally, when we forgive other people, they, they probably don't even know. They may not even know. Most of the people, when I work with forgiveness, those people aren't in, even in my life anymore. Some of them have passed away, or some of them have just gone on to other, other things. We can still work on forgiveness. And so I'd like to pivot now back to self-forgiveness, forgiveness for our own things that we, we consider to be unforgivable or bad behavior, things that we, we might be holding onto in our own heart that keep us from moving forward. Because we're so, as Westerners particularly, but really the worldwide culture these days, we're so caught in self-judgment, right? Somehow we, we, we've got this idea that, that in order to uh, be enlightened or to be awake or good people, we have to be perfect. That's really unfortunate. There was a Zen master who once said, I want to get this quote right, so I'm going to scroll up to it here. He once said, uh, liberation is non-anxiety about non-perfection. I believe that was Zen Master Dogen. I might be wrong. Now, the, I keep coming back to the Buddhist tradition here because it is so ripe with this idea of self-forgiveness. We have that quote from the Zen tradition. Uh, Milarepa, the great Tibetan master, uh, who before he became a Tibetan monk had murdered 29 people. And so he had that stone to remove from his heart, or those 29 stones to remove from his heart. Uh, Atisha, another great Indian monk who became, uh, who moved to Tibet and became a master of Tibetan Buddhism and a great teacher. Atisha was said to be sent to Tibet as a punishment uh, for mistreating one of his students. So to, uh, Buddhism in particular is really open to this idea of renunciation and redemption, that uh, we're not expected to live the perfect life and to really embrace the idea of self-forgiveness and then move forward 
from that place of self-forgiveness, of self-blame. It's quite interesting, actually. Now we know through neuroscience that when we're caught in the... It's like a, like a cycle, if you will, a hamster on a, on a spinning wheel. When we're caught on that spinning wheel of self-blame and criticism... Uh, it actually shuts down the centers of our brain that are used for learning. It's quite extraordinary, right? We actually, our brain literally shuts off the capacity to learn when we're caught in that cycle of self-criticism and self-blame. While practices of forgiveness, compassion, and loving-kindness actually open up our neurological pathways which make learning faster and longer lasting. So once we start practices of compassion and loving kindness and forgiveness, uh, the, the learning happens quite a bit uh, faster. And there's a momentum behind that. Once we start to break that cycle of self-blame, of self-criticism, and open into forgiveness, uh, there's a momentum there. So again, just as a reminder, we get caught in our own flaws, right? Caught in our own unconscious behavior, our own reactive patterns. And then we think, oh, I should have known better. Oh, I should have done better. Oh, I should have done this better. We get trapped in that self-blame and self-criticism. We forget our impermanence. We forget that we are that arrow that can be fletched. We are that river that can be guided. We are that piece of wood that can be shaped. And if you watch that process very slowly, right, we start with, ah, oh, this feels bad, right? That's how that, that feeling arises, ah, oh, that feels bad. And then we kind of turn it into a, an identification. It goes from this feels bad, or this is bad, or, or it goes from that to I am bad, right? So it starts off as really a physical bodily experience, this kind of uh, kind of a tension in the body or maybe a tension around the heart or a heartbreak kind of feeling, physical sensation. And then the mind or the ego says, I am bad with that. And then we cling to that, we hold tight, again, a great portion of that clinging, that tightness, comes because we're afraid if we let that go, we'll stop evolving, we'll stop growing, we'll stop changing for the better. So in the Tibetan tradition, uh, there's something known as the four forces of forgiveness, or really just the four forces of purification. So that's really what we're talking about here is purifying our mind and heart from this self-blame. And those four forces are regret or remorse, which means uh, we acknowledge the, the wrong that we've done, the harm, uh, the people we've hurt, and we, we pledge not to do that again. We, may, we make the dedication that, that we'll try our best to act in a different way. The second is reliance, which means to renew our connection with the practice of breaking those habits, 
whatever that means for you. Some people that means prayer, some people that means meditation, but reliance on, on some sort of practice or technique which allows us to move in a more mindful way. The third is to remedy as much as possible, make amends, apologize if that's not accessible or available, to, to do perhaps uh, social work. Do things that make you feel good about yourself because the more you feel good about yourself, the more you feel wholesome, the more you embark on skillful behavior. When unskilled behavior, unskillful behavior starts to arise, you'll feel it before you do it. So remedy really uh, is the idea of uh, setting out a path in life that's more wholesome. And the fourth is resolution. Uh, and that's, again, I kind of touched on that at the beginning here. Resolution means to stop feeding the inner patterns, the unconscious behavior that move us to do that harm that we did. So those are the four forces of forgiveness. Or really, in, in traditional, I, I want to correct that, in, in the, the traditional Tibetan uh, practices, these are called the four forces of purification. And those are really, really helpful. If you can, if you want, write them down, put them on your refrigerator. Um, if you're working with self-forgiveness, uh, I find these four uh, uh, moves towards purification to be so beneficial. And so we are coming to the close of today's offering. And so because I didn't get to at least half of what I wanted to talk about, uh, I am going to offer a part two on forgiveness uh, on, it'll be Friday morning here in Asia, or Thursday evening in other parts of the world, the Americas, Canada, and so forth. Uh, so I hope you'll catch that uh, at the conclusion of forgiveness. That'll be part two. Uh, same time of day, so wherever you are. If you're watching it on video, look for it on YouTube, Instagram, or Facebook. Thank you so much for tuning in. I really appreciate all of you who, who make the live recordings. I see your faces showing up there. Thank you. And uh, if you're watching this on recording, thank you. Uh, I can't, it would be pointless for me to do this without, without an audience, so I need you here. So I really do appreciate your presence. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, anything you'd like to hear discussed, uh, please do send those uh, to me via Messenger, or you can just put them in the comments underneath the video on the Facebook page. And I'll ring the bell to make the conclusion official. Again, thank you so much. Have a great week. Oh, and just uh, an add to that. <laughs> I got my days a little bit confused. This is, today is Friday morning, so the next episode will be Monday morning in Asia, Sunday evening in America, Canada. And that's the official ending. <laughs> You'll have to forgive me. <laughs>